Now, what is a miracle? A miracle is, we would define it as a supernatural event by a supernatural God. God is spirit. He is supernatural. The Bible does use other words that define or refer to miracles. You might have read your Bible through and seen times where it said they did signs, they did wonders, they did mighty works. Those are all referring to miracles, supernatural events by a supernatural God. And I believe that people, like yourselves, come to church for the reason of you want to get closer to God. You want to experience a supernatural God. I know you don't come here for the coffee and donuts. I know you don't come here to be entertained. I think you come here because you want to know the God of miracles. And that's my goal today. My plan is to show you um, how God does miracles, why God does miracles, and how the Holy Spirit, uh, dare I say, activates them. Um, The Holy Spirit is definitely involved when it comes to miracles. So are you kind of excited about this message on miracles? It may be a message like you've never heard before. You may be encouraged by it. You may never come back. I don't know. <laughs> it's been one of those messages where it's like, if I say, are they going to come back? Like, it's, one, it's been a challenging message for me as a pastor to prepare this. So just so you know, I am really trusting the Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us today. So let's pray. Father, may your Spirit lead us through your Word. May I not misrepresent in any way what you want us to know. May I take each verse in context of your whole Word, and may your, may your Word teach us, as it always does. May it show us truth so we can worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name. And Everybody said? Amen. I see you're not awake. You're going to, probably an hour from now, you're going to be like, okay, I'm ready for the sermon. No, it's, I know, you had the hour change. I know it's hard. You lost an hour of sleep. You might get it back next fall. We don't know if they'll decide that or not, right? We'll see. But I'm excited. This is a good message uh, about miracles because we're going to see some more miracles in Exodus. But uh, I want to give you the big picture I don't know if you've ever looked at the big picture of miracles throughout the whole Bible. At the end of this big picture, this kind of beginning part of the message here, I'm going to give you the big picture. I'm going to then quiz you. You're going to get a quiz. It's one question quiz. But don't worry, because I'm going to give you the answer several times before I ask you the one question quiz. If only your school teachers were this generous, right? Okay, so... Here's the question that I'm going to ask you at the end. I'm going to give you the details. The question is, what was the purpose of miracles? That's the question. What was the purpose of miracles? Now, here we go. The big picture. The Bible covers about 6,000 years of human history. From Genesis to Revelation. We're talking about 6,000 years of human history. And when you look at all the miracles in the Bible, if you took them all out, lined them all up, you would realize that they don't occur regularly throughout the Bible. I don't know if you realize that. That might be an epiphany for you right there. The, bio, the, the miracles don't occur kind of regularly. Oh, 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 it's been about 10 years. Okay, we're due for another one. It doesn't work like that in the Bible. When you look at those, they mainly occur during three time periods. 
three time periods, the time of Moses, the time of Elijah, and the time of Jesus. And those are years apart. But think about what Moses and Elijah and Jesus represent. They represent the law, the prophets, and the gospel. And that's intentional. Remember how Jesus took uh, his three closest disciples up, for a, up the mountain for a little hike? And they got to the top of that mountain, Peter, James, and John, and they were with Jesus, and Jesus was this human Jesus, and they get to the top of the mountain, and two guys were there. Who were they? Moses and Elijah. And then Jesus was changed, transfigured. And they were like, whoa, like what do we do? They were kind of freaking out, right? And God spoke. Yes, that's well, these three are significant. They're important. And we're going to begin with Moses. We're going to see the miracles that occurred during the time of Moses in the first time period. So remember, you, we're in this. We're in Exodus. You've been hanging around Life of Purpose a little bit. You know, Exodus 4, Moses was uh, walking around in the desert. He was somewhere between like 40 and 80. I think he was about 80, probably closer to 80. And he thought his life was kind of at the end. And then uh, God was like, uh, there's a fire. He's like, there's a fire over there. There's a bush over there, and it's burning up. But it's not burning up. It's on fire, but it's not. This is, this is, he was in awe. This was a wonder, right? So, this is a, so he goes over there, and he's checking it out, and it's like God spoke to him from the bush, right? That's a miracle that happened there, a sign, a wonder. Then, um, in, uh, at that time, he tells Moses, do you need to go? And he gives him that miracle staff that does, you know, turns into a snake. And so these miracles. And then, of course, in Exodus 7 through 12, we went through the 10 plagues, the 10 miracles that God did. So God is doing all these miracles through Moses. It's, it's amazing. And, and he's showing his power to the Egyptians. And then we just saw, not too long ago, Exodus 13, God appeared to the Israelites in the pillar of the cloud and fire. God was present among them. God was leading them. And then last week, Exodus 14, we saw him divide the Red Sea. Well, that's a big miracle, right? Water separated, and they walked through it. And, and we're going to see later on, God will give Moses the Ten Commandments and the law. So God is doing extraordinary miracles for a purpose. For a purpose. To authenticate Moses and his message. To authenticate Moses and his message. But then the miracles fade away. They're not as prevalent as they were. They don't disappear, but they definitely diminish. And the second time period now happens 600 years later. Elisha and Elijah. That's how we say them. But remember, I taught you that if you really wanted to pronounce them correctly, Elijah is Eliyahu and Elisha is Elisha. So they're definitely sounding a little different. But those are the prophets in which God did many miracles through them. And why did God do the miracles through them? And the answer is because there were other false prophets. And that was how God authenticated Elijah. Remember the showdown that he had. So God is authenticating these prophets, Elijah and Elisha, and their message. And then the miracles faded away. Third time period of miracles, 800 years later. Jesus is born. He begins his ministry. And Jesus did signs, wonders, and miracles. In fact, after Jesus was resurrected, which we're going to celebrate when? Easter, coming up, right? 
Not too long. Acts 2.22, Peter has a captive audience. It's, in, it's at Pentecost. It is 50 days after the resurrection. And they're all in Jerusalem, people from all over. They speak all kinds of different languages. And he's speaking to them. And he says, men of Israel, in Acts 2.22, hear these words. This Jesus from Nazareth, a man approved to you by God. That's important. He says, he was approved to you by God. How did God approve him? What does it say on the screen? It says that he did it with mighty works, wonders, and signs. That's how God approved Jesus. You can trust Jesus. As I like to say, anybody who predicts they will die and come back to life and pulls it off, you can trust that guy. That guy's Jesus. He did that. Wouldn't you agree? So Jesus goes to heaven, and his 12 apostles then begin to do miracles. The first one, of course, is the speaking in all the different languages on Pentecost. And in Acts 2.43, it tells us that uh, awesome uh, works were being done. In fact, that first day that Peter preached, 3,000 people got saved. But that wasn't the end. Day after day, people were being saved. Acts 2.43, And awe came upon every soul as many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So now the apostles are doing signs and wonders and miracles. Why? Because God was authenticating them and their message. And their message was the gospel. The good news about Jesus. Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And by the way, do you know why there are exactly 27 books in the New Testament? Do you know why we have the New Testament of 27 books? Why isn't there 28 or 29 or less? And the answer is because to be in the New Testament, a book had to have been written by an apostle or by someone who knew an apostle and spent time with the apostle and was getting his story. Why is that? Because everybody knew. All of the Christians understood that the apostles were authenticated by their miracles. These are the books that we can trust. This is why we have 27 books in the New Testament. Peter himself said this in his letter, 2 Peter, verse 19, just the first part of it. He says, We have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Our word is approved by God. What we're telling you is from God. And I love this next verse, verse 21. He says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Because if it was, it ain't in the Bible. It's not allowed to be in the Bible. That's what he's saying here. He's saying men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And you know what I like to say, God moved the men who moved the pen. That's what we have in the Bible. So you have three major time periods of miracles over 6,000 years of human history. And here comes the quiz. And I can tell you've been listening so attentively because you want to get the quiz question right. You don't want to let Pastor Matt down, right? All right, now don't shout out the answer like my students used to do. 
All right, the smart ones, you know, they want to get that answer right away and not let anybody else think about it. But here's the question. What was the purpose of the miracles? The purpose of the miracles was to authenticate the message and the messenger. When you look at the Bible and you look at all the miracles, you see this was the purpose. And I say was because the purpose has changed. But before we had the Bible in print, before the Bible was officially adopted, accepted, approved, validated, authenticated, before we had that, the purpose of miracles was to authenticate the word. But now the purpose is reversed. Before the Bible, the miracle authenticated God's word. But now that we have the Bible, God's word authenticates the miracles. God's word authenticates the miracles because we need to authenticate any miracles that happen today. And there's a reason for that. Can I tell you what Jesus said about miracles? I'm going to anyway, but it's really nice to hear you say yes. Yeah, we want to know what Jesus said. We don't care what you say, Pastor Matt. We want to know what Jesus said. All right, good. Matthew 24, 24. What did Jesus say about miracles? This is what he said. False Christs, antichrists, and false prophets will arise. They will perform great signs and wonders. You cannot read that and not be alarmed. False prophets will perform great signs and wonders. Why? To lead people astray, as if even the elect. To lead Christians astray. To lead unbelievers astray. This is the reality of the end times. There will be false signs, wonders, and miracles in the end times. There will be antichrists and false teachers doing miracles to lead people astray. How will you know if they are a false teacher? What does God tell us? What does the Word tell us? How do we know? What do we need? What's the most important thing that we have now? We have the Word of God. The Word of God will authenticate whether or not it's real or it's false. The Bible is that important. If what you're watching on television, a preacher that you maybe like, or you go to a church, or you watch their, their service or whatever on YouTube, or you see it on TikTok, or whatever you're seeing, wherever you're hearing it, if it doesn't line up with God's Word, they're a false teacher. Stop listening to them. Don't, don't, don't support them. And if you're not sure based on what they teach, look at their fruit, how they're living their life. Because Jesus said, the fruit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. If it's not from God, they are a false teacher. Today, we have the Word of God to authenticate the miracles. And this is why every church needs elders. Elders are overseers, like pastors, like myself. And we must validate, help you validate any kind of miracle, anything that's happening. This is what Paul told Timothy. Timothy was an elder in the, in the Ephesian church. Paul put him there on purpose, and he wrote him this letter. And he said, brother, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. He said, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, 
And this is his main task. Rightly handle the truth. Do the work of an elder. Because he goes on to say in 2 Timothy 3 that all the scripture we have, the word of God, is breathed by God. And it's helpful, profitable to teach us to reprove, to correct, to train, so the man of God can be complete, equipped for every good work. And let me tell you something. It takes work for elders and leaders, church leaders, to discern whether or not it's a miracle from God, whether or not it's a false teacher or if it's a real godly teacher. We all need to know God's word. We all need to know his word so we can discern whether or not it's from God. Do you know what John said, the Apostle John, in the end of Revelation? At the end of the Bible, the very last words of the Bible, do you know what he said? He said, no new revelation is necessary. We have all that we need from God in his word. Yet, today, there is a popular movement called the New Apostolic Reformation, the NAR movement, and it is filled with false teachers who claim to be modern-day apostles, and they emphasize mysticism and experience, how you feel over the Word of God. And how will you know if that person is a part of that movement or a part of any movement that's false teaching? The answer is the Word of God. Pay attention to what they say, what they teach, and what they believe, and what they do. That's how you do it. You line it up with the Word of God. If it doesn't line up, then get away from them. Don't follow them. Don't listen to them. Don't watch them. Now, along with God's Word to help us, we also need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. God has given us His authentic Word. How did He give it to us? He did miracles through the messengers, so we have the authentic word of God. But he's also now given us the Holy Spirit. And most importantly, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in those that are true believers, born again. You have to have the Holy Spirit to be a Christian. That's what God gives you. It's a, it's a blessing. It's, a Holy, it's the Holy Spirit. It, it renews, regenerates your spirit. But he also gives us gifts. Gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, to each believer is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So if you're born again, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you have a gift to help the church. That's the reason why you have the gift, to help build up the church. He goes on to say in verse 8, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit, the Holy Spirit. To another, faith. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, and this is really what we're talking about right here, the ability to distinguish between false and real spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. So why does the Holy Spirit give us these gifts? Why am I looking out at all of you and thinking, what gift does he give you and you and you and you? What do you have? 
Why do you have it? The answer is in chapter 14. He goes on to say a couple chapters later, what then, brothers, when you come together? When you come together for worship, one of you has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. And here's the answer. Why the Holy Spirit gives you a gift. What does it say? Let all things be done for building up. For building up your faith. For strengthening your faith. That's the biggest issue I see today in Christianity. Weak faith. We don't have strong faith. We we just want to do everything ourselves and, and take it all on in our own strength. But here we say that we, we see that the, the Spirit is to build up the church. The gifts of the Holy Spirit build up the church. They strengthen our faith. They help us discern miracles, whether they're real or fake, whether teachers are real or fake. And Paul explains that when you have these gifts and you use these gifts, you do it in a very orderly way during worship. You do it in a very orderly way. He goes on to say in verse 27 of chapter 14, If you speak in a tongue, let there be two or at most three, and each take your turn, and then let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. And then he says, let two or three prophets speak, but let the others weigh what is said. That would be the elders the overseers, let them weigh what's being said. And then in verse 30, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. You can all prophesy, but one at a time, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. Now if that's a worship service, according to Paul, then the worship service that we see typically in America, like our own, it doesn't look like that really. It kind of looks like that. Some of it looks like that. Because most churches have a hymn, we sing, and we have a lesson. But we don't see the prophetic word or a tongue being spoken. And I understand the reason. Because a lot of Christians just don't believe in some of those gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are called the sign gifts. Do they still exist today? And a lot of Christians will say no. In fact, I think I brought this up on Wednesday night. And there was someone in the front row that immediately, no, 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 tongues, they, they don't exist anymore. Well, most of the time when people say that, they don't even have a verse to back it up. They have no scripture to say it. They just don't like it because it freaks them out and it's scary. If I'm being honest with you, the supernatural is scary. When you look in the Bible and an angel shows up, that person is scared. They freak out because it's an angel. It's supernatural. And that is scary. But don't dismiss something because you're a little scared and a little uncomfortable. And that's what I'm not doing. And that's why I had such a hard time preparing for this message. Because I wasn't really sure if I was going to share this next part, to be honest with you. But... The Holy Spirit wants to bless us and I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. I don't want to put out the flame. 
You know, when I looked at the, the verse that says, don't quench the Holy Spirit, it's in 1 Thessalonians. Paul's talking to the church in Thessalonica. I don't know if you realize this or not. I never did until I studied it. But what's the very next verse? Verse 19, it says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. And I think Paul was continu continuing his thought when he said, next verse, don't despise prophecies. And then he says, test everything, hold fast what is good. Was Paul saying to us then that if you despise prophecy, you're quenching the Holy Spirit? I think so. He's saying, just test it. You have the Word of God. Test it. If it doesn't line up, it's no good. But if it does, it's good. It's good for you. It'll build you up. It'll strengthen your faith. So how could this look during a time of worship? Might be a Sunday service, might be a Wednesday service. How, how could this look? Well, it always begins when we're worshiping God corporately as a body with the nudge of the Holy Spirit. I, I call it the nudge of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, the nudge of the Holy Spirit. Many of you have been nudged by the Holy Spirit to take action or to speak up. Uh, I, I know this. And, um, if, if, and you know the difference because it's not like, oh, that's a good idea. I should say that. And then you're like, eh, I'm nervous. I don't wanna, you know. uh, or I, you know, you're driving down the road and you're like, oh, that person looks like uh, they need help. Their, their, their car's broken down. I should probably stop and help. Oh, I'm busy. I'm late. You know, if the Holy Spirit is nudging you, you pull over and you go help that person. You speak up. You take action because you can't not do it. Am I right in saying that? You know what I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit is nudging you. So in the service, if the Holy Spirit is prompting you to share a word, and I gave you the mic to share, and you spoke up, and you said, you know, the Lord is telling me that all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. You just need to call on the name of the Lord right now. Well, I would take the mic back and say, I approve that word because that's Romans 10.13. That lines up with the word of God. And then I would ask, is there anybody here that wants to call on the name of the Lord? Is there anybody here that wants forgiveness of their sins and wants to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus? You see, that's what a prophetic word would look like, could look like in a worship service. We have this notion, many of us, that a prophetic word foretells the future. It doesn't. It foretells. It, 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 it um, brings to light what is already in God's word. That's a prophetic word today. I'll give you another example. Let's say an unbeliever was in service, and they came because you kept inviting them, like this is the 139th time you've invited them to church. They finally came because you promised them lunch after. All right, that was the clincher, the bribe. And you got them there, right? But before they came, this unbeliever is sitting in, uh, at home, and they're saying to themselves, I'm going because I'm getting the free lunch. I'm going to make it through. And, um, but it's going to take a miracle for me to believe because I just have too many doubts. I'm never going to believe. I, I just can't believe. It's going to take a miracle. Like, that's their mindset, right? So they come to service, and then someone says, I have a word to share. But this time when they share it, they share it in, an, in a heavenly language. Well, immediately, everyone's going to be like, wait, what do they say? I didn't understand that. That's a language I don't understand. 
And then I would say, can anyone interpret that unknown language, that language? Does anybody speak that language? And if someone said, yes, I can interpret it. This is what they said. The God who is the God of miracles, he wants everyone to know he is the God of miracles and he can do a miracle in your life right now. Well, I would declare that to be Psalm 77, 14. That's what I'm preaching on today. God is the God of miracles and he can do a miracle in someone's life. Now, why did the Holy Spirit prompt that person to say that, whether they said it in an unknown language or as long as it was interpreted or, or in English, uh, for all of us English speaking, they could have said it in Spanish and then I would say, who speaks Spanish? And I know someone in here speaks Spanish. And what, it's, it's, uh, it's, in, it's been interpreted, it's been said, and I approved it to be lining up with, the God, with God's word and there's others here that could approve it as well. Would you, um, by the way, why did they say that verse I would say because that unbeliever pointed out that he would never believe unless there was a miracle. And you know what? God is the God of miracles. Would you object to an unbeliever becoming a believer in that way? I wouldn't. Would it be a little bit strange? Maybe. Would you be encouraged, though, by the Holy Spirit at work in our midst? Yes, the supernatural. Will this happen at Life of Purpose? I don't know. But I don't want to get to heaven and hear God say to me, why did you only emphasize some gifts? How come you didn't emphasize or, or, or use all of the gifts that I want you to have? Because I'm trying to build you up. For Christmas, my son got a new comforter for his bed. He did. And it, it, it's, not, it's not on his bed today. It's Christmas, I understand. But it's next to his bed it's still in the package. He's not being comforted by his comforter because he didn't take it out of the package. Did you know Jesus called the Holy Spirit the comforter? Yeah. We got to let the Holy Spirit comfort us. And I'm going to be honest with you, I don't speak in tongues, never have. I don't interpret. I don't have a gift of healing. I don't, I, I've never done a miracle to my knowledge. Um, but I'm not, I'm not cynical. I, I might be a little bit skeptical, and some of you might be too, but you know the difference. I told you this already. Skeptics with evidence believe. Cynics don't believe no matter what. But I want, and I'm open to whatever God has for you and for us. And I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. I want what's best for you. In all of this, is a lot, I understand, and it might put you on a little bit on edge, and you might not come back. <laughs> I get it. Um, because you might like this church just the way it is. But I want to do what God wants us to do, and I want to comfort you with these words. This church will always be rooted in God's word, first and foremost. But I do know we need the Holy Spirit to help us. We do need the gifts of the Holy Spirit and you can't disagree with that. It's in the scripture. And this is what I've heard. It. I, I read this recently. If all you have is the word, you will dry up. If all you have is the spirit, you will blow up. But if you have both, you will grow up. And that's what I want for us. I want us to grow up in our faith. And we need both. We need a balance. I don't want to be a church that's so rigid the Holy Spirit can't work. I don't want to be a church that's so loose that things get out of control like we know, we hear, we see. We need both to worship God correctly because Jesus said, 
You don't worship in a place or a space. You don't worship on this mountain or that mountain. You worship me in spirit and in truth. Holy Spirit, Word of God. We need them both. So as I close, I want to encourage you to pray right now, today, for two things. Number one, ask the Holy Spirit to make your gift known. Because to each of us, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit has been given. You have a gift of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what it is, ask the Holy Spirit for what it is. Ask him to make it known to you. And secondly, ask God to give you boldness to use that gift to build up this church, to edify, exhort, encourage other believers. So that's what I want you to pray for. As our team comes up to play this final song, ask the Holy Spirit to make the gift known to you and ask Him to give you the boldness. Listen to what the church said, how the church prayed in the very beginning. When the believers were gathered together, they had a prayer service. And this is what they prayed. They said, Lord, look upon the threats of the outside world and grant to your servants, that's us, to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. So as you take this time to pray and ask God for His gift to be known to you and to use it to build up this church, 